Am I okay to go for it this morning? I have a feeling like I'm going to be going for it sooner rather than later, so please, if that's not your thing, then forgive me. But uh, you want to know something sad? I was laying in bed this morning, and one of the first things I thought about was, do I wear plaid? (laughs) Right? Because I put together the video, so I know what's on the video, and I was like, do I wear plaid? And and Arnold was really kind to me. He encouraged me that I, you know, I wore my quarter-inch plaid today, which was maybe a little more distinguished than a six-inch plaid or something. So (laughs) what did I tell you? We're going to go for it this morning. Well, I have my notes to pray first. I have 12 pages of notes, I just want to let you know. I'm in control. <laughs> Quarter inch. Um, let me ask you some questions this morning. Posturous. <laughs> Do you like plaid? <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness. When trials come, and they do and they will, what is your response? What's the natural response that comes out of you? When others bring trials to you, what comes out of you? What's your natural response? When you're full of joy and the world couldn't be any better, what's the reason? What is at the core of your joy causes you to exult in praise and worship? As I've been thinking about this message and, you know, ever since my sabbatical, I've been, I've been kind of struck by the fact... I, that I'm not really satisfied with the nature of my response to these questions. And being in the church, I get to experience the, when other people bring stuff to you, what is your response quite a bit. Well, actually being married and having children, I get to do that too, and we all get to do that. But we all know as a church, we've been walking through times that are really dark, really hard, causing us to have a need for a response. And... uh it just feels like, man, we're, we're, we're just living in crazy times. And there's a question is, what comes out of us? What spills out of us? What causes us to be able to walk that next step in confidence and in joy? And so my text today is Romans 8.32. I'm going to take a moment to read it. Um, it's a powerful text. I mean, Romans 8 is glorious, isn't it? Amen? Amen. Amen. It's, just, it's just good stuff. So I'm going to start in verse 31 and go to 39. We're going to read this whole section. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, if if you agree with anything in the sermon this morning, feel free to say amen. Okay, it'll just spur me on and get me going even more. I like it. Uh, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. Uh, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding, uh, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are... Okay, through him who loved us, for I am sure that things, uh, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Woo! Why is this not my response when things come my way? Should it not be? Because Paul says, and this is where I want to point, in 31, what shall we say to these things? What things? He's saying there's things. What shall we say to these things right here that lead to being more than conquerors? Right? When you look at scripture, you look at that, often that first verse is pointing to something important. And so that's kind of the basis of the message. I, I look back, I'm like, what was he saying? What was he saying? For if many died through one man's trespasses, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Amen? Amen. Amen. What shall we say then? He says it again. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen? Amen? So you've also considered yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen? For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Amen? Keep going. He says, or did you not know, brothers? Here's some more stuff. You also died through the law, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Amen? And it keeps going. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, Abba, Father. One more, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are calling, called according to his purpose. Amen? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's pointing to the gospel, church. Romans 1, 16 says, that the power of God is salvation to everyone. Church, this morning I want to talk about gospel fluency. Why don't I walk like a conqueror? I was, I, I, I'll speak to myself first of all. I just don't think I remember the gospel. I'm forgetting the glorious truths of Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross and God the Father sending his only begotten son for me that whoever believes in him shall not die but have everlasting life. And I would suggest that that's what Paul's saying. You want to be more than conquered? You want to see conquering lifestyle, defeating and triumphing over the famine and sword and nakedness and shame? Go back to these things. Because if you have these things, then who could be against us? So gospel fluency. What do I mean by gospel fluency? Fluency. Let's start with that word. Fluency would mean, in dictionary sense, that anything that you do with excellence that comes out really easy. Okay, that would be fluency. Okay, so I was thinking about the word fluency, and I think two things stuck out to me. One is when you're fluent at something, you know it. Right? You should you should probably know it really well. 
not like me in Spanish. I was impressed by the languages that were being spoken here this morning. They sounded pretty fluent. I went down to Mexico and I te- tried to te- uh, not teach. I tried to speak Spanish, right? And after you eat the water or lettuce or anything that's had water, you probably need to communicate in Spanish more than the next person. And everything gained an O after it, right? And it was just like uh, toilet O, uh, please O, now O. It's like. I didn't know Spanish, and it wasn't coming out very clear. (laughs) Thanks for now. That was too late. (laughs) I'm not talking about German, you know, like either. Like, my last name is Friesen, and you think I would be fluent in German, wouldn't you? Unfortunately, my parents spoke it so that I didn't know German. (laughs) And so now my German is, Hast du eine Akkonte hier? (laughs) Right? Or... Michelle's like, what do you want to do Sunday afternoon? A meta show, please? <laughs> now? Das ist gut, yo? Uh-huh. It's no fluency. What I am talking about more is like Tim. Tim I, I had the wonderful privilege of going with Tim. Tim Harder, he's an electrician. And he took me to this barn that he is in charge of. Do you know that this guy is in charge of drawing the schematics for the whole dairy plant for the, the University of Manitoba has this barn. And he has to draw all the wiring, make sure all the wiring works, running the wire to every electrical thing in that place. I was like, oh my word, am I doing a good job at making him believe I understand any of this? <laughs> like, because I was trying to be a really good friend. And I, I enjoy being there, but I actually was just scared. Because he brings me to this room of, like, electrical death. And he's like, come over, Greg. Like, look at these wires. I'm like, I see the wires. They're red and blue. That's really nice. He's like, no, come, look over here. Do you know how many watts and currents are going through this right here? I'm like, I could die. I can stand in the middle of the room. I am just fine. <laughs> right? And he's talking about ohms, and he's talking about watts, and all I'm thinking is time to go ohm, and I don't know what you're thinking about. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I planned that. Shocking, isn't it? When you're fluent at something, you know it. You know it. You know it. Am I clear here? Am I being clear? When you're fluent at something, not only do you know it, but it comes out of you. You know, it just comes out of you, doesn't it? You can't help but leak the things that you're fluent about. It doesn't matter what the circumstance. You know, my very first date with my wife. Well, I didn't say, oh, that's okay. She said I could. I didn't want to do it, but I wasn't going to say the name, but my favorite dessert on the planet is tapioca pudding. Okay? Hey, I got her hands. Woohoo! Props right over there. So if you want to bless me or that young lady right over there, make us tapioca pudding. You can bring it to my door. You can bring it to my office. Wherever it is, tapioca pudding, I will love you and probably give you a hug. Unless you're a woman and we're alone, I probably won't do that. But, uh, but I love tapioca pudding. And so my wife decides on our very first date, she's going to make me tapioca pudding. And I was so excited. And she gave me the whole bowl and she slides the bowl to me. And I was like, oh, this looks so glorious. And I took my spoon and I went to partake. Like, forget a bowl. Like, we're not sharing. This is my tapioca pudding. And, and uh, I go to put the spoon into it and I was like... <laughs> And I went, and I actually lifted the whole bowl up. I was half a good footing. 
literally like this. And I was like, uh, what, what went on? And she's like, well, it was really weird. I was getting my brother to help me make it. And the box said, stir until thickened. And he was like, I think this stuff is done. So she was holding the pot and he is stirring the tapioca pudding. I was like, well, what, how, what, what did you do? She's like, well, it was minute tapioca. I just put the whole box in. I was like, cement tapioca. It's very good. So I'm not talking about fluence, like something that doesn't come out of you. I'm talking about what comes out of you. I asked for permission, but you know what, Dave? On the outside, you may be a Mzungu, but on the inside, you are a Wandan through and through. When Dave preaches, what comes out? Stories about Rwanda, illustrations about Rwanda. God has called them to Rwanda, and Rwanda comes out. Man, you may be a Mzungu on the outside, but the inside, I would swear you were born there. You were raised there. And you were called there. That's who you are. You're fluent. You see, fluency is two different things. It's knowledge and it's action. Knowledge and action. It should be coming out of us. Maybe you've seen this illustration before about water. What's inside of you? Right? What we put inside of us comes out. Right? Right? So that what happens is when life happens and we get bumped or we trip, right? (laughs) Grab the wrong cup. Uh, I thought maybe I shouldn't, you know, but... What we're consumed of what we're filled with, there's a few different things that happens. Is it when life bumps us, when things get tough, what spills out of us, right? When God gives us something to share, what do we have to share? What are we consuming? What are we feeding us of? What are we ourselves drinking of? What we drink of, what we consume, what we put inside of us is what becomes fluent in us. Tim has spent a lot of years becoming an electrician. It just comes out of us. David spent a lot of time ministering and studying to be called to Rwanda. It just comes out of him. And this morning, I want to suggest that Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God's salvation, that whatever it costs, we need to stand in it. We need to hold fast to it. We need to cling to it. We need to know it. We need to live it. We need to love it. We need to memorize it. We need to breathe it in. Because that's what Paul's saying. What shall we say to these things? Man, if you have the gospel, if you have the gospel, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution and famine and nakedness and sorrow? No, we're more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. That's what I mean about gospel fluency this morning, church. So I felt that God asked me to tell you a story this morning. And so I'm going to do that. I felt that he called me to point you to himself. Worship was so good this morning, pointing to the King of Kings. The story goes like this. In the beginning, there was God. 
residing in perfect community with his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then out of nothing, God created. He spoke. God's word, his speaking, brought about his work, church. And he said, let there be light, and there was light. And he created the waters, and he created the, earth, the land, and he created the vegetation, and he created the animals. He created the earth and everything in it. And he created Adam, and he said, it is good. It is good. Church, a gospel truth this morning, God's word creates. And what God's word creates, it is good. God's word is completely trustworthy and be completely depended upon. The only thing that wasn't good was what? Is that man was alone. So God created Eve. Amen? And woman was made from man, a picture of unity and community of God. And they commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it. They were called to submit to God, rule over it on his behalf, fill the earth with more of his image to show the world what God was like. It's kind of like the first great commission, isn't it? Man, he created a, a good and beautiful garden. Man and woman living in harmony of pure love, naked and unashamed, daily enjoying one another, working and ruling over creation, interacting with the king in their midst. But there was a problem, wasn't there? They didn't believe. They didn't trust God's work and his word And the serpent convinced Eve otherwise. And the problem was unbelief. God had told them they were very good. They were made in his image after his likeness. God had told them that they would surely also die if they ate that fruit. And the action was called sin and the result was death. In three different ways. Spiritual, relational, and physical. Death. Spiritually, they died with their relationship with God. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They looked elsewhere for their identity, their purpose and truth. They looked away from the giver or sustainer of life, and they looked to the one committed to taking and destroying it, and it broke their relationship with him. They turned from from submitting and believing God, trusting and believing to Satan. They surrendered their God-given authority over to the world to Satan. Satan became the God of this world. It says that in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, John 12, 31. And the result was shame and covering themselves and hiding from God. Perfect communion with God the Father had been destroyed. And that led to relational death with each other. You know, our relationship with God affects every other relationship, church. After sin, hiding from each other, covering themselves up. They turned and turned towards each other. They were looking for someone to pay for what had happened. They were looking for atonement. The problem with atonement is that someone has to be pure to die for another to cover for our sin. But that didn't exist. And the humans feel, let me just make this comment. Humans feel the need for payment to be made. Why? For sin. Because we are image bearers of God. We were made in his likeness. We love justice as God loves justice. So we look for someone to pay, look for something to be made right because of who we are in Christ Jesus, who we were created to be images of. But the problem is we are to blame and we need someone else to pay for our sin and only an innocent one can atone. 
And that led to physical death. God covered Adam and Eve with skins of an animal in Genesis 3.21. And this is the first sacrifice for sins that we see where someone had to die and that was an animal. And eventually a human would need to atone for sin to remove guilt and cover our shame. And until then, many sacrifices would be made. But never, never would it be enough to truly forgive us and make it all people new. And this pattern continued from generation to generation until we see Cain and Abel. Cain, like his parents, he didn't heed God's word for acceptance. He put his hope in his own work instead and fell short and someone else suffered for sin. Rebellion began and continues to go on because unbelief in the truthfulness of God's word and the sufficiency of his work. Church, we need to believe and trust in the sufficiency of God's word because it's powerful and it's true and it creates things that are good and we can trust in him. But thankfully, this story doesn't end there. Amen? Amen. Amen. God promises to put an end to the serpent and the rebellion that he started in Genesis 3.15. God was going to have the final word, and again, his word and it would be true, and his work would be sufficient. Amen? But in the meantime, things continued to get from bad to worse. And actually, it got so bad that the intention in every heart was evil all the time. So God chose one man. His name was Noah. He was going to cleanse the world of all this evil, all this sin. And it was his grace and his mercy Say, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to come. I love you, church. I, lo- I love you. And he destroyed the world and everything in it except for Noah and his family. And he, re- and he affirmed his covenant that he made to Adam and Eve to go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. But did things get better? No? Things did not get better. Enter Abraham. God calls Abraham and through him he would start a family for the purposes on the earth. God promised he would make him a great nation. He would bless him. He would make his name great so that the earth would be blessed through Adam, Abraham, God, and Sarah. God brought Isaac and Isaac fathered Jacob and Jacob became the father of 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel through whom Judah, God would bring his son, Jesus God rescued Jacob's family from famine through provision in Egypt. They grew there, and they also became slaves in Egypt. But God was about redemption and grace and redemption and grace. And so called Moses, and called Moses to go to Pharaoh. Hey, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Did Pharaoh let his people go? No. How many plagues did it take? Teaching the story. Come on. How many, how many plagues was there? Ten stories. Ten plagues, sorry. But again in that, we see God's grace, his God's grace and God's mercy as he gives Pharaoh opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to after opportunity to lay his life down before the king of kings till finally God has to harden his heart to set his people free. And God redeems Israel. And you start to see in the story that redemption actually becomes a running theme of the story of God. God called his people to trust him. God called his people to obey him, but over and over they fail. And over and over, God had to rescue them from their slavery. Now, God had called and chose Israel. He blessed them to be a blessing to the nation. He called them to be set apart as a holy people. He called them to trust and obey, and in doing so, be a visible display of what God was like to the nations. Does that remind you of something? Adam and Eve created in his image to go forth and multiply, to be an image of God. God the Father to the nations. 
but they failed. And God says, I'm gonna, we're going to do this again. We're going to do this again. And over and over, see the Israelites turning from trusting, turning from obedience, and God saving them, never letting them get to the point that was too far, but saving and redemption, redemption, redemption. God's plan would not fail, amen? Through the offspring and the true Son of God would accomplish it, and that name is Jesus Christ. Jesus came as a true and better Adam. Jesus came in true, better Abraham. Jesus came as a true and better Israel. He was God's plan of redemption. He always was, even before the creation of the world. Jesus was God's answer to our sin. Jesus came. We know that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit through Mary and Joseph, the virgin birth. He lived a life without sin. He lived a life that we were created to live, perfectly trusting, perfectly submitting to God the Father. He overcame Satan's temptation in the desert. He came to save, serve the world and not be served. He laid down his life in our place, died as our atoning sacrifice, shedding his blood on the cross for our sin, removing our guilt and removing our shame. Hallelujah. 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 He was buried and rose again on the third day, triumph over Satan, triumphant over sin, triumph over death, the first fruits of a new creation. A new creation. Jesus was raised with a glorified body, church. He had taken our sin at the cross, paid for it by his blood. He destroyed the power of sin. He overcame death and was given a new life in the tomb and can no longer be taken down by Satan, can no longer be taken down by sin or death. He had been given all authority in heaven and earth. Jesus is a new and better Adam over a new and better creation. God is making all things new. And then through Jesus' body, lifeless in a tomb, God brought forth another woman. And that second woman to be brought forth from a man's body was the church. Church, we are the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. We are God's new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 2 Corinthians says we're a new creation. And I've said this before in a message, but new creation there means new, never been seen before. It's not Greg version 2.0. It's actually Greg new. Oh. Hey, I'm speaking Spanish. <laughs> New, never been seen before. And it's for all those who believe in Jesus' life, death and, death, 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 death and resurrection, go from having Adam as their authority and life source to having Jesus as their authority and life source. Adam sinned and we were born into sin. Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit, so we get born again into that spirit. We're a new creation in Jesus, no longer Adam. We have a new authority and a new life source. And Paul is talking to that new, about that new authority. He's talking about that new life source that makes us more than conquerors. That causes us to never be able to be separated from the love of Jesus Christ. When we come into our new authority. And church, we need to live our lives in the light of this truth. We need to invite this future hope into our present lives, into our present questions. What comes out of me when things get hard? What comes out of me when people bring tough stuff to me? It's these glorious truths. Church, this isn't just a story. This is our story. Church, this isn't just a story. It is the story. 
It's the true and better story that can redeem and make new every, every other story. This is one of those stories that you should be set, that you should be able to say, like, I saw it for the hundredth time or the thousandth time. You ever see those people? You know, it's like, oh, I've seen that movie. Like, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen that movie. Right? That, that, should, that should be how we talk about the gospel. Instead, often we talk about the gospel of, yeah, I'm going to reign with Jesus one day. Right? Which is truth. That's actually glorious truth. And I must have missed a page of notes because I want to talk about that glorious truth. Because coming the bride of Christ wasn't the end of the story, was it? No, one day we're going to reign with him in a garden-like city called heaven. No more suffering or pain, no more sin or sorrow, no more brokenness or despair or sickness or death. God's enemies will be captured. God's enemies will be crushed. All things will be made right. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. This is good news, but that good news doesn't just start when we get to reign with Jesus. That good news is for now. It is for today. It is for your current situation. It's for your kid's current situation, your spouse's current situation. Your uncle who has a tough situation, it's for him. It's for your coworker that doesn't even know Jesus. It's especially for him. It is powerful and is working for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it needs to be what's fluent. It needs to be what comes out of us at all times. I was talking to someone and they were talking about how they were going to counsel this, this person. They, they were looking forward to go visit someone at a, a certain place to counsel them. And they got to that place and the place was, that person was very grateful that they came. Said, thank you so much for coming. I'm so glad you're here. I, I just, I, what I don't want from you is that Sunday school Jesus stuff, right? So something else. What? And the person told me, it's like, I just looked at them and said, okay, have a nice day. Because that's all, that's all, that's all this person had. But we get confused about what we're supposed to bring to someone. Can I suggest just bring them Jesus? Just bring them Jesus. So in landing the plan, I just, I just want to, I just want to say three things. Church, the, the world needs Jesus. And when we give them anything but the Jesus, we're leading them away from Jesus. Right? Anything but Jesus is away from Jesus. And so we need to learn how to apply the gospel. We need to become fluent in the gospel. And the first thing we need to do is to study. And I just said, I just felt like, just fill your cup. I don't know what study looks like to you. That can look a different way. And I don't want to get into the specifics and particularities of what studying means. But get to know the gospel. You know, I, I just read you the gospel because I haven't memorized the gospel. But that's my goal is to take these pages, what I've written down, and make it just part of who I am. Why? Why would I want to do that? So that when someone comes up to me and says, Greg, I'm really suffering insecurity. What? Did you know that in the beginning, God the Father made you in his image? And when he created things out of his mouth, when things came out of his mouth, his word says they were good. You want to talk about insecurity to me? You go look to the Father and what he does. He makes things perfect. And they are good and they are excellent. Insecurity be gone in the name of Jesus. 
oh, Greg, but I'm so, I'm, I just, I'm so struggling with pornography. It's a real problem, but pornography. Really? Pornography? Huh? I'll talk about You want to know about intimacy? The King of Kings, God the Father, sent His one and only Son, His Son, who reigned as God Himself, sent Him down, virgin birth, to Joseph and Mary, to live a perfect life. He was coming after you. He lived a perfect life doing the will of the Father. We're talking about a love story, man. I mean, that woman on that TV screen ain't going to ever do. She's not going to pursue you, did nothing for you. But God the Father sent His Son, and Jesus came after you. You could be the only one. There could be 99 other people. Jesus is coming for you because He loves you so much. And He loves you so much that He's going to lie down on the train tracks for you and get pummeled over because of your sin, because that's how much He loves you. That person on the screen will never do nothing for you. You need the gospel, sister, brother. I have no hope, Greg. Oh, you have no hope? Let me tell you about your hope. <laughs> do you know that you look to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you believe and trust in Him? Do you want to know what's going to happen? Oh, man, you got some serious hope. Church, we need to study, we need to know the gospel. We need to be able to translate the world. This world is a crazy place. We need to look to the world around us and be able to translate it to people through the lens of the gospel. Right? Because all these issues can be, you put them through the gospel and things change. You see them differently. You see your own situations differently. That's what I've been doing. The Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mind thinks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the feet move. I believe it to be true. I believe it to be true, church. Number one is study. Number two is pick up the cup. We can fill the cup, but do we, do we pick up the cup? You can know it, but now we've got to walk it out. I am so tired, church, of living like an unbeliever when I don't have to live like an unbeliever. Right? Come on. I don't have to live like an unbeliever. Man, I got the same spirit in me that raised Christ from the dead. Why would I want to live like an unbeliever who has no hope? Zero hope. Why would I want to do that? Why wouldn't I just go to the word of God and go, this is what my, this is what my God did for me. He redeemed me over and over. I can look to the Israelites and go, that's how much my father loves me? That I could turn to idolatry over and over again? And he says, just come back to me and I'm going to give you a big hug and love you just like more than I did before. What? Why would I not take any, any problem I have, any situation, and just bring it to the gospel? Just bathe it under Jesus. It doesn't make any sense, but I live like an unbeliever. And you look to the Israelites, you know, when they were in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, what saved them when the 10th plague, when, when God says, I'm going to pour out this plague, it's going to kill the firstborn of every son in Egypt. God says, take, take a spotless lamb, take, take, take a, a lamb and slaughter it and put the blood over your doorposts. Were the Israelites any better than the Egyptians? I'm sure they, they weren't. There must have been lots of sinning going on. Complaining, I don't, I don't know. What saved them? 
They believed. They believed in God's word. Little Susie's going, don't kill the lamb, don't kill the lamb. I'm like, I understand, it seems really weird, but we're going to do this. And they kill the lamb, and they put, what are you putting in his blood? That's so gross. But they just believed, put the blood of the doorposts, and the power of God came, didn't it? The power of God came through them believing in his word, which produces works. John 6, 28 to 29 says, What must they asked Jesus, what must we do be what, blah, what must we do to be doing the works of God? He responded, This is the word of God, that you believe in him who he had sent. Believe. God speaks, it produces his works, which were amazing. Jesus spoke, right? Waves stood still. Winds stopped. People came from up from the dead. People saw. Jesus spoke. Things happened. They asked Jesus, how, how can we do these works? He says, just believe. Our faith, church, produces our works. Our faith is going to produce our works. Our looking to God in faith brings children home in three weeks, yes. not a year. Yes. You want to see Romans 8? Man, I think we've got to go, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say then? Oh yeah, we have these things. And when we have those things, who can be against us if God is for us? The last thing I want to say is be intentional. Make it personal. Drink the cup. Share the cup. Spill the cup. And what a glorious... Can I just share what happened this morning? This is so glorious. <laughs> Lynn spilled her coffee this morning. And it got all over me. As I was sitting behind her. I smell like coffee. Do you know why I smell like coffee? Because she was drinking coffee and spilled it. I want people to smell like Jesus when they bump into me. I want people to smell like what's inside of me. That's what I want. When you immerse yourself in gospel fluency or in a gospel fluent culture, you will start to see the gospel everywhere. And it works conversely, doesn't it? I mean, what an agenda with this LGBTQ, ONMLKJ stuff. Like, you just see it everywhere, right? I don't know if you've seen The Greatest Showman, but that, sh- that movie has been on in our house. And I will confess, maybe it's about, I, I think every song is absolutely amazingly catchy. And I like all styles of music, so I don't know, I'm just putting myself under the bus or whatever. But there's one song that drives me insane. Like, I just... I get mad actually when it comes on. I get frustrated. This is me. Watch out for here I come. Dance to the beat of a different drum. There's actually one drum. His name is God the Father. <laughs> I'm not scared to be me. I am who I want to be. This is me. No. You're not a 40-year-old man that wants to be an 8-year-old girl. And you're not a 25-year-old girl that thinks you're a cat or a dragon. It's like you see this in these movies. There's an agenda. There's an agenda. There's a culture. You start seeing things. When, 
the same thing in music. When I, I came here when I was 19 years old in 1994, and they needed a bass player for Thanksgiving. And this is really the story of why I lead worship. It's crazy how God makes things happen. Greg, can you learn how to play bass? We have a Thanksgiving, and we want to play this little light of mine with rock and roll, and we need a bass player. So I was like, sure. So I picked up the bass to learn one song. That was it. One song. Ended up sitting in my basement playing the bass, learning the bass, listening to the res band, and playing bass, right? Dave will know who that is. Maybe someone else. And I would just listen to music, and I would play the bass, and I would listen to bass lines, and I would play the bass, and I would watch, and they would give me chord charts, and I would play the bass. You know what happened? Every time I listened to music, I just hear bass. That's all I would hear. It was very annoying. That's true. What else, what else is there, Darian says? But it's like, right? It's like whatever I immerse myself in, I start seeing it everywhere. I can identify it. I can point to it. I can look to it. I can hear it. I grow in it. With Aaron, my daughter Aaron, it's the sky. She sees Jesus in the sky. Bless her. She comes out. We're driving the car. Dad, look at that sky. I'm like, well, that's a sky. And those are clouds. But she sees Jesus. She sees Jesus in it. For me, she would say, if she was sitting right here, for me, it's like cliffs. Like, you know, when you, when you, like Ireland, when you see green cliff ocean, I'm like, that's gorgeous. So the other day we're watching, the screensaver comes on, and it's a cliff with water. Hey, Dad, look at the cliffs. Because <laughs> there's just something about it that makes me see Jesus and his glorious creation. And when we immerse ourselves in the gospel, I have to believe that that's, what, that's what's going to happen. When we go back to those initial questions, right? What comes out of me when trials come? Well, I've been immersed in the gospel, and that's going to start coming out. When someone brings their issues to me, says, Greg, I got this problem. I'm going to start seeing, oh, that's how the gospel applies to the situation. And conquerors start coming out. Fruit starts coming out. Here's a question, and if I disciple you, and if I have any authority to speak in your life, now you know what I'm thinking, okay? You're about to know. I'm looking at you, and I encourage you to do the same to yourself and other people. And you ask this question when someone's talking to you about an issue. How do I make Jesus the hero of this story? How do I make Jesus the hero of this story? Next time the enemy wants to come around and tempt you or tell you something you're not, you ask yourself, how does Jesus become the hero of this story, issue, problem, praise, whatever it is? Fill in the blank. Make it personal. Spend some time thinking on things that, or times that Jesus has rescued you. What can you do to remember who he is and what he has done? Because here's the thing. All of us sitting in this room have the same call. Okay? God's called you the same thing. You could say, no, Greg, you're called to be a worship leader. I'm not called to that. I'm not talking about that. We're all on this planet for the same reason. And that is to go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that He has commanded. 
And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. If I want to be an effective teacher of all that he obeyed or commanded, it would probably serve me well to be so gospel fluent. Wouldn't it? You know, like to just be filled with his gospel truth. You know? To know that gospel inside and out, backwards and forwards. I have a document of the story that I wrote. If you would like that document just to start learning, to, to read it over, I'm reading a book. Uh, it's in my bag. I should have got it. It's called Gospel Fluency. Well, that's weird. It's the same title. Um, so certain things that I've said that are from that book, I mean, Elmer knows. Elmer and I shared an amazing moment together when it comes to the gospel. Um, um, I just lost my track. It's okay. So this is my invitation to you this morning. Maybe you're sitting here and you don't know who I'm talking about and you've never heard heard about who I'm talking about. You don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. You haven't come to put your trust and your faith and your hope in Him. I want to invite you to come see me. I want to invite you to come talk to someone this morning. I want to invite you to take the opportunity to come to know the power of Jesus Christ that can change your world, change your life, change your future, change your hope. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've lost faith in the gospel. Or gospel fluency, it's not even, it's not on, even on your gospel radar. And you feel this morning God's calling you back to a new faith, a new hope in Jesus Christ. Why don't you come forward this morning? Why don't you take that opportunity just to come and ask Jesus to come? Man, your story is a story of redemption. God's just waiting for us to come to him so he can just lavish himself all upon us and spill out of us like that little cup on that page. So that when life bumps us, we spill the gospel. And we have hope. Amen? Father, I, I thank you for this morning. Man, I, I just thank you for you. God, I thank you that all I have is found in you. All, every, anything good I could possibly have is found in you. Jesus, I, I pray that you would make yourself known to us in a real, real intimate and a real special way this morning, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would empower us to, to grow up, to be emboldened, to trust and believe in the power of your word. And then it would radically change situations around us. God, it would, it would change our own situations. It would change the lives of those around us, God. It would change our spouses and our children and our relatives, and our, especially our lost and unsaved relatives and friends and co-workers. Jesus, I'm praying for revival, Lord Jesus. God, an awakening, God, of the power, God, that we would be able to testify like the Tylers did this morning. And it would be a regular occurrence. It wouldn't be like, can you guys remember the last time that happened? No, this is just what happens. We have lineups of people testifying to what God is doing in their midst through the power of your word and the truth of your gospel. I love you, Lord. Submit this. Whatever wasn't you, Jesus, just erase it from our memories. In Jesus' name, amen.